Well, it's nice to be with you all. My name is Graham Gent, and as my brother just said, I uh, work in the Faith Mission in Canada. Um, we uh, spend a lot of time working with churches uh, to help and equip them to effectively reach the communities in which they live um, in, a, in a way that is understood by the community around them, but in a way that does not compromise the gospel that we get to proclaim. Um, so that's a lot of what we do. We do a lot of seminars. We uh, work alongside churches doing that. Um, we also uh, do some work in the public schools. A neat opportunity uh, just south of Hamilton. Two public schools. Last year it was three. This year, unfortunately, it's only two. They allow us to come right into their schools and, and uh, during the n- nutrition break and have Bible clubs uh, in the schools. And so it's a wonderful opportunity. My wife uh, does the bulk of that work. I just am her sidekick with the guitar and jokes most of the time. But she does all the hard work. Um, So if you think of her, be praying for her as she comes up with curriculum and and, and works with the students. We see almost 60 kids a week um, in those those clubs. It's a wonderful opportunity. Um, And it's really nice for the kids that are there who are Christians to have a little spot where they can say the name of Jesus and sing songs about him and hear about him. So it's, it's good that way. We do a lot of camp work as well. Uh, so in the summer times, we run a camp. You know where, where Milton is? Just outside of Milton, there's a little place called Campbellville, and there's a green space over there. And our agency owns a camp center there. And so anyway, we have a lot of inner-city Hamilton kids and then other kids as well that sort of come up. And we have a great staff. We work um, quite a few weeks in the summer doing that. We also do some winter camps as well. And we do youth leadership training up there. Um, really pushing um, youth, um, not just in their knowledge of Scripture, but in their development of prayer, dependency on the Holy Spirit, um, and to sort of creating leaders within the church that, that, um, that can effectively share the gospel. That's a little bit of what we do. And uh, if you have any other questions about what we do or why we do or anything like that, please ask me afterward. I like to get to the word. Um, we are going to continue, I, th- I believe, in a series that you guys are, are doing. Uh, why do we do what we're called to do in a spiritual discipline sort of idea? And I believe last week uh, VG spoke on corporate worship. And uh, as VG and I were talking, we thought it might be appropriate to talk about corporate prayer as well as a spiritual discipline. And so that's what we're going to tackle this morning, um, praying together as a church. Let's see if this is, oh, look at that. It's going to work. Praying together as a church. Um, Prayer is a wonderful topic. We can't do justice on it in a short period of time. Of course, there's lots of different angles that we can talk about prayer today. But um, let's talk about this point here. A healthy church praise together. That's what I want to kind of kind of get to, is a healthy church, or if we're going to be a healthy church, we are a church that prays together. And so I like to zoom out for a moment and go to the garden. Uh, zooming way out, it was said that the Lord walked in the garden in the cool of the day and spoke with Adam and Eve. Such an intimacy was there at the very beginning. It's like God intended there to be intimacy with his creation. There was no sin. There was no rebellion. 
There were no enemies, no betrayal, no idolatry. There was intimacy. Uh, But that was lost uh, because people sin. That was lost because we as a people thought there was a better way. Our way. We chose the elevation of self. We chose the elevation of us over the elevation of God. We essentially worshipped the creation, us, instead of the creator, it says in Romans. And so sin came in. And since, since then, since the garden, there has been this unholy disconnect. That'd be us right? This intimacy that we were enjoying as a human race with our God, with our creator, was cut because of us. Um, and, and our sin, the Bible says, separates us from God. And yet we get to pray. Even in this state, we can pray. It's unbelievable. It really is that we weren't just swept off the earth at that time, um, that God would still allow us to pray All through the Old Testament, men and women have cried out to God. God even hand-selected a few special people that that he would speak directly to. And there's this beautiful image of of this intimacy, sort of like what used to be. Remember that, guys, back then? He sort of has these moments of intimacy in the Old Testament. One of the most beautiful moments of intimacy in the Old Testament is when Moses comes, we heard about the mountain this morning, Moses comes down off the mountain, and of course they have the calf that walked out of the fire. You might remember the story. And they're worshiping the calf, and it's a terrible chapter in the time of the, of, of the, of the Israeli people. And um, the Lord says, I'm not going with you. Like, it was devastating for the people. And so, and so Moses takes the tent of meeting, and he brings it outside of the camp. And it says that Moses would, would get up and he would go out to that camp and the people of Israel would stand in their doors and watch him as he goes and they would worship from the, from the tent door. But Moses would go to the tent and the glory of God would descend and he would enter into the tent of meeting and speak to the Lord face to face. And it's interesting, when he left, it says that Joshua would stay there and just enjoy the Lord such intimacy. And then there's the scary images of God coming down on Mount Sinai where before he came down in the garden and walked amongst his creation, it was intimate and not as scary. Um, But on the mountain, he descends, and just the sound of the trumpets and the angelic hosts that were up there sent the people into a frenzy. Anyone, it says, we read this in Hebrews 12, who even approached the mountain would be destroyed. A far cry from the intimacy that was enjoyed in the garden. And for centuries and centuries, the general population was prevented from entering the holiest place by a curtain in the temple where the presence of God was. Once a year, a priest could go in there and have that intimacy. Yes, prayer still happened, but that intimacy was not available for the general population. There were intense obstacles. Of course, we know the story. One day, heaven again descended. God, clothed in flesh, came and walked among us. And we, as a human race, could speak to him, ask him questions, walk beside him. There was a renewal of this intimacy. We could talk with the living God. We could enjoy hearing from him. 
And you might think that when Jesus died and then left, that our time of intimacy was over, but something happened before he left. The curtain in the temple was torn, top to bottom. And it's not that God was let out, right? It's that we could now come in and enjoy that intimacy again. Hebrews 4.16, a familiar passage, says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In the simplest form, prayer is enjoying personal and corporate intimacy with God. It's a little garden experience for us. It's not performing well-structured and even poetic expressions of human words, though it may sound like that sometimes. That's not the point. It is, in fact, speaking with the most holy God. And yes, that is the Sunday school answer of what's prayer. But I think most certainly we need a reminder of this sometimes. I do. You know, I was watching on CBC uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle um, walk through a group of people and everyone's like scrambling over top of everyone else to try to just, you know, see them and, and say something to them. Uh, they didn't seem to mind what they looked like or sounded like at the time, evidently, judging by the crowds. They just wanted to have themselves heard because royalty was right there. So yeah, talking to God, that's the Sunday school answer of what prayer is, but sometimes we lack that excitement at all to go and speak to the Lord. And there really isn't any comparison when you're comparing human royalty to the presence of God and speaking with him. But yet we forget, right? So I don't want to spend too much time on the wonders of prayer. That's a topic for another morning. But rather this question, why corporate prayer? Why pray together? We sort of talked about the intimacy of what prayer is, sort of to get our our minds primed for what corporate prayer is and our enjoyment of it. But why corporate prayer? In the age of information that we live in, right? In the age of accessibility in which we live, there's a tendency to fall into individualism. I think Viju said last week, that we are individual members, but we are a body. We are a body. That's how the scripture defines us. And in our age, we we do things like this. We say, oh, I don't need a doctor. I'll just Google it, right? Like, something's wrong with me. One sec, I'll just check on my computer what might be wrong. Because we can. We can, and sometimes it's right, right? Who needs a mechanic when you've got YouTube, you know? You can go on YouTube and just... Boom, there's your answer to your problem. If you have some tools, you can do it. Church, why go? Right, our brother asked this morning, why are you, why do we come here? There's lots of good reasons. But really, practically, right, why go? I can sing with Spotify on my phone, plug it into the system, and have a wonderful time of music that I like. I can hear great speaking from Sermon Audio. I can choose anyone I want. Why come and pray? I can pray by myself, right? God hears me. I know he does. I can choose the songs I want. I can choose the speaker that I want. And I don't have to sit through a bunch of irrelevant prayer requests. I can, I can pray by myself. There's a lot of reasons 
why God has placed the church structure in our lives for our benefit, for our protection, for his own glory in the community, amongst many others. But bottom line is that we are not meant to do this on our own. VG reminded us last week, our faith is designed to be communal. Okay, that's the, the essence of its design. Interestingly, and this is like I often do when I prepare for messages, I just type the word that I'm speaking on into my um, Bible software, and I can see every instance of that word happening. And so I do this. It takes a little bit of time, but it's really neat. Every single time I do it, I learn some stuff. But it's interesting, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, mentions prayer quite a lot. But it's very rare to see a clear indication of group prayer. You have ritualistic group prayer sometimes, but most of the times it's conceptual or alone in the Gospels. Okay? But then you get to Acts. Complete opposite. Right? It's like this major shift that happens. Out of the 29 times in the ESV that prayer was mentioned in Acts, 15 distinct references were made to group prayer. It's just what they did. Right? It's just how they did prayer. They prayed together. It was a pattern in the New Testament church. Quite the shift. Right? There's actually very few references to purposely praying alone. So it's clear that we are not meant to only pray alone. Corporate prayer actually characterized the early church. So I'd like to take a look at one of these instances Acts 14, sort of our theme verse for this, for this morning. Sorry, not Acts 14. Acts chapter 1, verse 14 is kind of our theme verse. We're going to jump off of a few different things from it this morning. But leading up to it, it's really critical. Leading up to this verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says this. Just to give a little bit of context. And while they were staying with them, he ordered, so this is Jesus. Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Interesting. He says, wait for the promise of the Father. It's coming, the Holy Spirit, right? And then it says in verse 8, you will receive power. Again, he's going on the same thing. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power. That's what's coming. All right? The promise of the Father, go wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's coming and you will get power. Critical. So, what did they do? They went to Jerusalem. To wait. But what did waiting look like? I love this. Acts chapter 1 verse 14. So all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. I love this. The first action of the church was to get together and pray. There are a few points I like to land on based from this passage. The first one is this, one accord, right? It's just scripture speaking for itself. One accord. They had a unity of purpose, 
right? They prayed together in this manner, with, a, with a one accord, one goal, one purpose. And while unity is helpful when praying, it's not a condition, all right? It's not a condition. It doesn't say, if you're not united, don't pray in Scripture. It is helpful. In fact, getting together to pray can sometimes heal disunity. It's really hard to be ticked off with someone when you're praying with them, right? You sort of pray together and you, you grow closer together. Anything that might be simmering sort of goes away sometimes. So it's very helpful. But there is a precedent in Matthew five twenty four where someone leaves their gift by the altar, supposedly to worship, Right? And makes things right with another brother and sister. Matthew 5.24 So while prayer isn't limited by people not being united, it's actually a great place for confession. Right? To be vulnerable. None of us are perfect. We had to wait till we're perfect. We'd never pray together. But worship in prayer could be a barrier if unity is not there. Right? That delightful intimacy in worship that we get to have is hard to do when we're not united, when there's not peace. Right? When we're not going the same direction in one accord. First Timothy chapter two, verse eight, I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Right? That's one of those conditions of of, of being able to pray properly pray properly together without anger and quarreling. You notice how it says, with the women. This may not sound too weird today, but in that society, it was certainly a faux pas. But in Christ, there was nothing restricting access to the throne room. They just got together and prayed. How else do we do? I don't know. Let's just pray. It was really neat to see. Gender had nothing to do with it. It had everything to do with Christ. They devoted themselves to praying together. Second, Devoted is the other word that jumps out to me in this passage. Devoting. They were serious, giving themselves to prayer. I get the impression that there was an urgency. They're like, we've got nothing. Our, our, our Savior is gone. Our leader is gone. He's told us something's, something's coming to come help us, but we have nothing. We have oppression from all sides. So they devoted themselves. There was an urgency and what they were doing. They were seriously given over to prayer. And this is certainly something we see in the book of Acts. Um, Acts 6.4 says, we will devote ourselves to prayer. It says when the, when the apostles sort of, sort of uh, gave out some roles, and, you know, they elected, was it 10 men? Anyway, to, to, to help with the widows, um, they, they, they said, you guys do that, seven? You guys do that, sorry. And we will devote ourselves to prayer to the teaching of the word. Romans 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Interesting. Devoted to prayer. Romans fifteen thirty. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers. There's a, an urgency, right? There's a seriousness. There's a work involved in praying together. It's not casual. It's not done, yes, 15 minutes, new record. It's not that, right? There's an urgency, a striving together. Colossians 1.9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. 
It's like they believed in it. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Colossians 4 verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. There's just, and there's lots more, right? We could go on and on and on. But the characteristic of corporate prayer in the New Testament was this. Devoted, striving, constant, urgency, seriousness. Together, they prayed. Third, they were waiting in prayer. It doesn't say it expressly in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. But this is what waiting looked like to them. When Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, I want you to wait, they gave themselves to prayer. I like to say this. The first action of the church was waiting in prayer. Waiting in prayer. This idea of waiting is really interesting in Scripture. If you were to do, again, a word study on the word wait, it's really, it's really interesting how many times the Lord makes people wait or waiting is the, the secret ingredient to blessing. It's really interesting. You know, it's, it's no wonder um, when, when Moses went up to the mountain. When Moses went up to the mountain, he had to wait to hear from God. Right? He went up the mountain. It's not as if God couldn't do what he needed to do immediately. You know, with the, with the tablets. It's not as if God is saying, just one sec, Moses. It's going to take me a little bit of time here to get all this down. I have to think through. What I need. Like it's, he's not like that, right? But Moses still had to wait seven days. He had to wait to hear from God. He just had to. That's the pattern of it is in Scripture. Even Saul had to wait for Samuel to hear from God. Saul was tested. You know, can you wait long enough? He was almost waited long enough, and then he messed it all up right at the end. But he had to wait for Samuel to what? To hear from God. Job waited in suffering before finally, in, in chapter 38, he hears from God. But he waited and waited and waited and waited. And then he heard from God. Psalm 38, verse 15, But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you O Lord my God, who will answer? The psalmist knew that if he wants to hear from God, he has to wait. Wait in prayer. Wait before the Lord. Do we believe that God will speak? Do we believe if we get together to pray that God will speak to us? That we will get direction from the Holy Spirit? That, that we will find an answer I think sometimes we don't. That's why we don't wait in prayer. That's why we don't, there's no urgency, right? There's no constancy, right? There's no striving because we don't believe sometimes that we'll get an answer or we already think we have it. No, I figured it out. We'll just go through the motions of prayer. But I'm not going to wait to hear from God. Wait to hear, it says. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. You know that God is defined in Scripture as a speaking God. He is a speaking God. 
He called Abraham out. He didn't drop a message. Right? He spoke the world into existence. When all the other nations have this building set up in the middle, you know, and, and, and so you go into the building, you go to the next part, and the next room, and the next room, you work your way into the middle, what's finally there? This great big object, right? What about the, the camp in Israel? You go to their camp, and where's the temple? Oh, it's that tent over there. Okay, you go to the tent, and you go to the first layer, and the second layer, and you'd be dead if you went any further. But if you go into the holies of holies, what's there? A box with words in it. He's a God that was defined by speaking. It says Samuel didn't know God. Why? Because he hadn't heard from him yet. He hadn't, he hadn't been spoken to by God. I'm sure Samuel knew all sorts of stuff about God. But it says that he didn't know him because he had not heard from him yet. Why? Because God is a God defined by speaking. Jesus Christ himself. He is the word of God made flesh, dwelt among us. All through scripture, the attachment of a speaking God in contrast to everything else around is is very apparent. Right? Christians Christians today have hope. A living hope hope because the God who speaks still speaks today. But do we believe he speaks? Are we willing to wait on him, to hear from him? Psalm 39 verse 7, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. It's almost like saying, Lord, if you don't speak, I don't have hope. We wait on you because in you I find my hope the way that I can move forward. And that's why they were constant. That's why they were urgent. That's why they were devoted in prayer because their hope was in him. Psalm 130 verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. My soul waits for what? His word. Because it's in his word that I hope. And so this first action of the church was to wait in prayer. But not just for nothing. They waited for quite distinctly, the Holy Spirit to come down. They waited for the Holy Spirit. The first action of the church. They waited for God to come down and speak. Now you can get in trouble for talking about the Holy Spirit in some places. Um, But you cannot separate the work of the Holy Spirit from prayer. You'd be doing an injustice to Scripture. If you separated the work of of the Holy Spirit from prayer. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus teaches about prayer. It's what the whole point of the passage is about, prayer. And so he shares a story about a guy going on a trip and it's getting late. So this guy stopped by his buddy's place and he says, hey, I'm on a trip. I'm tired. Doesn't say all that. I'm sort of making this more story-like. And so um, his, his, his friend lets him in and he realizes that he's got no food to host his friend. And so what's he do? He says, one sec, make yourself comfortable. He runs over next door, and he knocks on the door. And, and his friend um, says, don't bother me. His friend next door, he's like, don't bother me. My door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't give up to give you anything. And his buddy at the door is like, oh, come on. I got this friend to stop by. I have no food to give him. He's hungry. And so what's he do? Keeps knocking, and keeps knocking, and keeps knocking. And it says it's not because that they're friends that they got bread, right? 
It's because he was a bit of a jerk about it, right? Just kept knocking. Right? It's because of his impudence, it says in, in, in the ESV. Right? Because he was being a bother. Because he was being constant. And he was waiting at the door until he got what he wanted. Now, it's a human example. Jesus is using this example on purpose. He goes on to say, hey, dads out there, if your son asks you for a fish or an egg, what kind of dad would give him a snake or a scorpion? Of course not. A human example. Right? But then he says this very interestingly. He says, if you then who are evil, I like that. <laughs> just, just say it like it is, right? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children or to your neighbor in that other situation, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's what he says about prayer. He says, you want to talk about prayer, ask for the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when you pray. Because listen, if you don't hear from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not engaged in your prayer time, you're not praying. Jesus says, how much more in prayer, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Is this us in prayer? Does Jesus' teaching on prayer just go over our heads on this? Do you see us banging on the door? Lord, I need your Holy Spirit today. Lord, I require you to speak. I require his work in my heart. I require the Holy Spirit to fill me up again. I require it because I need to walk in the Spirit. I need to be led by the Spirit of God. I need him to speak through me to give a defense for the hope that's within me. I need him to change the way my mind thinks towards my children, the way my mind thinks towards my neighbor, the way my mind thinks towards the person I really don't like down over there, whatever it might be. We need the Holy Spirit. And so he says, ask the Lord. Ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. But do we do that? I don't very often. I go through my list. But Jesus says, ask the Father in prayer for the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. You can see how the Spirit is right there in our prayer times. Ephesians six eighteen, Praying at all times in the Spirit. That's what Jesus said. Ask for the Holy Spirit. And here's Paul, Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Jude 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's all through the New Testament. Jesus says, ask for it. The New Testament says, pray in it. Be directed by. Ask to be led Ask him to speak to your hearts. Ask him for wisdom from above. And so, the church, first action, gathered to pray together. And not just pray. Not just a list of requests in that sense. They're not bad. Requests are important. Give structure. We don't want to forget things to pray for. We want to petition the Lord. Be specific about it. But they had a discipline of devotion. They were united and they're waiting on the Lord in the Spirit. 
That's what characterized corporate prayer. Waiting on the Lord in the Spirit, for the Spirit, for the Spirit to work, for the Spirit to speak. You know, all the great revivals of the past throughout our world have happened when a group of people who were not willing to let a non-answer suffice. They would pray for weeks and months, sometimes years, banging on that door, asking the Lord to send his Holy Spirit who comes convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We don't need better people out there who are, who are more manipulative. Right? We need people who are courageous to speak the cross of Christ, but we need the Spirit to come and break through the hearts of the people. We need the Spirit to come and convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so that's what would happen. These people would get together in revivals before the revivals was, was, would happen, and they'd be praying and praying what? For the Holy Spirit to come and do a work in their own hearts, to give them a burden for the lost, and to come and do a work in the hearts of the community that we can't do, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. They prayed the Father, the Holy Spirit. This is corporate prayer. Let's take an example from the first action of the church. Pattern ourselves after them. A healthy church prays together. Now, before we're done, I just have a couple practical things I want to just touch on. I forget, is it a quarter or two we start? Yeah, ish? All right. But in closing, just a few practical points about corporate prayer. Um, we've talked a lot about the concept of it. I hope we've got a, an excitement for it again. You know, an urgency, a devotion to it. But let's just talk practically just for a moment. Um, Let's pretend that, uh, sorry VG, I, don't only, I know you the best, so I'm going to use you as an example. But let's pretend that VG and his family served in this church for 30 years straight. All right? Um, you're pretty young still, so you've got lots of time for that. Um, but then let's say he left on the foreign mission field for 18 months, just like that. Lord called him, off he went. He'd been here for 30 years, right? You all know him very well. There's been ups, there's been downs, there's been many good times, some sad times. You've been influenced and shaped. You love this man and his family dearly. They go, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to grasp that they're gone. But he's um, coming back after 18 months for one day. One day only. He's going to come here. Lots of people to see all over Ontario, but he's going to come here for one day and we all get a chance to ask him questions right? See how he's doing, right? To, to bounce some ideas off him. Maybe ask him for some wisdom, right? And I think you can see where I'm, where I'm going with this. It's a poor example, but some good points, I think, for corporate prayer. So it's been a long time. We're all very close to him. VG comes up here, and it's our turn to, to talk. I wonder what this would look like, right? If you were to use a human example, what would this look like? Well, we'd probably all show up, right? I hope. It's VG. We haven't seen him for a long time. We know him so well. I hope we would all show up and be together with him. We'd probably take turns telling VG and his family different things, excited to fill him in on different things that have happened and also to seek advice and wisdom. Now, we probably wouldn't appreciate it, though, if some well-meaning VG fan hogged the entire time, 
right? Because as much as it may be stuff that we would have said, we like VG and his family, and we want a turn to talk too, right? And so we would have a turn. It would be pretty annoying if someone took that valuable time you had together, short, to use it as a platform to air out some issues they had with somebody else. You know, talking to VG, but actually talking to everybody else at the same time. No one likes that. Talk to VG. Don't pretend you're talking to VG when you're actually talking to everyone else. And if someone had a real way with words, like, man, they made everything sound so good, they never stuttered or said things in the way they didn't mean, we wouldn't just let them talk the whole time because they happen to be good at it. Oh, no, you, you talk to VG. You're, you're better at that than I am. Like, no, I'll talk to VG. I like VG, right? And, and VG understands. I'm not trying to impress him. He knows me, right? He, he knows that I stutter. And he knows sometimes I get my words twisted up sometimes. And I, I might say something that I just really didn't mean, but it's, you know, he knows me. So it's okay. And you know what? I don't really care if other people heard me mess up. It's not a big deal. Because I'm talking to VG. So when I get a chance to say something, I won't worry about sounding perfect. I might stutter or say something I didn't mean, but it's no big deal. And, but I will choose what I have to say carefully, right? There might be time to call VG on his cell phone when he's in this country, right? And talk about some real important things or some real like sensitive things. I won't air out everything with everyone here. I'll be aware of the people who are still listening. There's time to do that on my own with VG. So I will be aware of other people listening. And as others talk, I might hear something that gets me excited. And so I, I nod, right? It's like, oh yeah, that's right. I, I get into it because we're all in the same conversation. I might even want to repeat something, someone else, and add on something, you know? Not interrupting, of course, that's rude. And I wouldn't be thinking, well, I've already had my turn at a perfect constructed sonnet-sounding monologue. No, because we're talking to VG, right? We're all sharing together. There's no like, well, I, I, I probably shouldn't say this, right? Because it's just VG. It's f- exciting to hear what others have to say. It's exciting to hear what are on other people's hearts. And soon we discover a unity and excitement. And VG and his family might even encourage us and affirm us in a few ideas. And we all leave excited and built up. But you know, in case you get the impression it's all about this one visit here, it's not. If VG had sent you a bunch of emails and text and you haven't responded, it's kind of awkward, eh, when you see him again? So while you show up to the get-together with VG and his family so you don't look weird, what's wrong? You don't like VG? Why didn't you come, right? So you show up, you don't really jump in to talk to him because he might make eye contact with you and you feel kind of guilty or... You do speak up because you know you're supposed to, you know, to save face, um, but you're not really connected to him, right? You're distant from him. There's this thing. It's kind of insincere, and you can feel it, even though other people might not see it. Now this illustration falls apart. I hope we got some of the points, though, in it. We're not talking with VG when we pray. We are talking praying with the living and holy, all-powerful God. We should not be glib or casual or flippant 
that we may be with humans. But there is a boldness that we can have without swagger, right? There is a friendliness and intimacy that we can enjoy without being complacent and casual. And a lot like worship, corporate prayer is certainly a reflection of time spent in individual prayer. Now, don't think that if you haven't been praying alone that you can't pray together, but let's not be hypocritical about it, right? Don't beat yourself up too much. Unlike humans who may be offended that we haven't been in touch, and then all of a sudden there's this big group together, and we just pretend that everything's okay, God knows, right? It's not based on what we bring to the prayer time that determines our acceptance before him. It's what he's already done for us. Like they often say, we can't let God down. We were never really holding him up. He doesn't look at us and say, where you been? How come you haven't answered me when I called you? He knows. He knows. It's God. So let's not use that as a barrier. It says in Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. He knows all of that. So we come to pray. Let's not pretend, right? Let's be real. So let's be people who meet intimately with our God regularly and who can, some, and who can come together and truly pray, truly pray and cry out to God together waiting in prayer for the power of the Holy Spirit to inflame our hearts again, to give us a burden for a dying world. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to pray. Lord, much like the disciples requested of your own son, Lord, we struggle with it. God, I pray that we would be refreshed in our standing with you, that we would know that we have been bought with a price. It's not based on our own stuff that we can bring. Lord, that you have done it for us. Lord, give us a hunger and a desire to be with you regularly, not just at church, but during the week. Lord, give us a a, a hunger and and a thirst to spend time with you. And Lord, when we come together to pray, God, would you give us an urgency and a boldness and a devotion to truly wait on you and to seek you out and to have you come and and, and speak to us and give us a unity and and a purpose together. Lord, we pray these things for the building up of your church and the magnifying of your son in this community, we pray. Amen.